Couple Advisory Solutions is an SEC-registered investment advisor and only transacts business in states where the firm is properly registered or is excluded or exempt from registration requirements. I wish that our stock market were as honest as every casino I go into. The gambling propensity is strong in people to do mathematically unintelligent things. Welcome to Libel on Fire with Libel Sternbach, the financial independence and retirement show dedicated to helping you build the life of your dreams as fast as possible with as little stress as possible. Libel Sternbach is the author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. Libel's advice has been featured in countless publications, including Reader's Digest, USA Today, Yahoo Finance, CNN Business, Investment News, and and Market Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Libel on Fire. Welcome to this episode of Libel on Fire. And I'm Freddie Bell and I'm with Libel Sternbach. He is Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. And on this episode, we'll be talking about something called Alpha, Beta, Gamma, You think that you know what it is, but uh, we'll get into it. Hello, Mr. Sternbach, and welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Hey, how are you doing today? Unbelievable. I'm excited about the topic because uh, I I want to uh, dispel the, the idea of what our audience might be thinking that we'll be talking about today. <laughs> so uh, from your perspective as a financial advisor, what does alpha, beta, gamma actually mean? I know it's, it has a Greek reference. Yeah, so you know um, the the definition of a profession is that there's a barrier to entry that, that just you know not anyone can be it. So in financial services, because you know finance uh, really at its core, it isn't that complicated. But to make it more complicated, we've added lots of Greek letters and we call things by lots of different names uh, in order to create these barriers of entry. Um, so so we have you know. We have lots of ways of describing the behaviors of securities and the behaviors of investments and things like that. And we've assigned them, you know, various, you know, Greek letters uh, as well as mathematical functions. And we've given them some interesting names. But the truth is, is it all goes back to your, you know, high school or college uh, statistics 101 class. That's that's really what it is. And that's I want to go through those today and, you know, talk about them and dispel some of those, you know, misunderstandings that people have about them. All right. Well, let's go back to one-on-one. You know, uh, finance was not my best subject. Uh, my professor said that I had a mental block when it came when it came to numbers. So <laughs> let's go to the beginning. What is the basic, most basic thing that we need to know when we talk about this barrier to entry? So when we're when we're looking at investments, right, and you know, you really it, it, this goes true for for any financial decision, right? You, you got to understand what it is that you're making a decision about, right? Or am I am I you know what am I buying? What am I saying yes to? What am I putting my money into? And the questions that you would ask yourself whether you are investing in a business or buying a new car or whatever it is, right? Those same questions you should be asking yourself about finance. Now, because you know, when it comes to investing in the stock market, we've got thousands and tens of thousands of companies that we can invest in. And you know, there's, it's hard to get all the information. 
Well, we try to make it easy by simplifying things and reducing things down to like these little basic numbers. But the truth is, is that for the average person, right, most of those numbers don't really matter because they're not, you're not comparing 10,000 different securities to each other and trying to figure out the best one. Mm-hmm. You're comparing maybe two or three, right? And you want to know what exactly is it that I'm looking at? Am I looking at a blue car? Am I looking at a red car? Right. So when you're, so as, as I am a, just a regular consumer and I'm looking at my online statements, am I not really seeing what I'm thinking that I'm seeing? Is it, is it something different that these big banks provide us? So kind of, it's uh there, there's an old saying that goes, um, Figures never lie, but liars figure. <laughs> and it's when it comes to math, you can you can make the numbers say whatever you want, right? And I have yet to find an illustration or a statement that provided all the information on one page that you actually needed in order to understand what you were looking at. Um, oftentimes there'll be missing pieces of information that are critical to understanding what you're looking at. So for instance, let's take something really basic. What exactly are you owning, right? Um, you, we, we know that there are things called stocks and we know there are things called bonds, right? And essentially those are other names for saying, I own a piece of this company or I've loaned money to this company, right? Okay. Okay. So at its surface, right, everything in investment comes down to one of those two things. But then we can layer things on top of them. We can say, well, I don't want to just own one company. I want to own multiple companies because one company can go bankrupt. One company can, you know, get in trouble and have fines and, uh, you know, do something bad. So I'm going to own multiple companies or I'm going to own an entire sector. And so now we have, we're packaging multiple companies together into an ETF or a mutual fund, which is essentially now it's we're owning a company that owns multiple companies, right? And now we're starting to get some, some layers of abstraction here, some confusion as to what we're actually owning. And so when you look at your statement and you see, oh, well, I got this ETF and that ETF, what exactly are those ETFs, right? And the further away we get from the companies and the further we get away from the fundamental investing of, I believe that you know this company is doing something sound. I believe that they have a good strategy to go to market. I, ha- I believe that, that everything about them um, indicates that they will turn around a profit. When you stop investing for those reasons and you start investing because I want to have numbers on a spreadsheet. I want to diversify, right? I want to I want to capture market performance. When when you start talking about those things, well, all of a sudden, then we start to need to look at things from a statistical standpoint, right? Because we're not talking about companies, we're talking about statistics. So it all it sounds the same. So what does the average investor need to know? Is there a a formula that they should always look for, or is there a stat that sheet that they should always consider when they're making uh, different types of investments or conversing with their CFP? So there are there are things that you'd want to look at, right? But it, it and it all starts, you know, it all goes back to what is it that you're trying to accomplish, right? So mm-hmm. let's start with what our goals are. And our goals are going to be, you know, whether we want to generate income in retirement or we want to preserve our wealth or we want to grow our wealth, 
right? Or we want to leave a living legacy to our kids or grandkids or to a charity, right? There's going to be a goal that we're going to be looking to accomplish. And then we're going to look at investments to see how can we choose investments that will help us accomplish these goals. And when you're looking at building a portfolio and a portfolio is, you know, holding multiple of these you know, investments. And we're doing this more like from a statistical standpoint of I'm not investing in a specific company. I'm not loaning money to a specific company. I am, I want to participate in the upward growth of the market, or I want to participate in the lending that's happening to businesses in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. When you start thinking about it from that standpoint, then we want to start looking at things and we want to say, okay, well, if we're doing things from a statistical standpoint, how many companies are actually being held here? Do I believe that the, the sector in general is going to increase in value or decrease in value? Do I have evidence for it? And then you got to look at, you know, there, there are different statistical values that we're going to want to look at, like, for instance, how related are our holdings to each other? If we end up buying 10 things that are all the same, right, but they have different names, did that really help us? We could have just bought one of them. Right. And that is there. There are when we start talking about the Greek alphabet. Right. That's where some of those Greek alphabets come in. Uh, so, for instance, one that's used a lot that you'll hear a lot is beta. Beta likes to is the comparison, usually comparison to the market. Um, however, it really is just a statistical term. It's a statistical term that means correlation. It means how much of the, the market's return, how much of the movement of this security can be explained by the movement of another security. And when you that thing that you're comparing it to, so if I'm looking at IBM or I'm looking at an ETF of the S&P 500 and I compare it to the S&P 500, I want something that has a high correlation because that tells me that the this thing has increased in value and it goes up and down in value relative to my benchmark relative to my market however like what i was saying about liars configure mm -hmm. because we're talking about a statistical number we have to look at how valuable that number is because just because i say that this is related to something doesn't mean it's actually related and so something that you've probably never heard of is R-squared. And R-squared tells you whether you can rely on the beta number. But I, I have yet to see a illustration that has R-squared listed on it, right? You can go to Yahoo Finance and you can find it for yourself. Right. But when financial advisors are preparing plans, I've yet to see someone put on their R-squared. So how can I, as an investor, know that I'm looking at the right numbers, and if these numbers are actually the true numbers related to what I'm trying to do as an investor? So I wish I could tell you that you could. <laughs> yeah. I, I really wish that, that uh, I could tell you, you know, hey, just look for this number and for that number and you'll be good. It's but you really can't. Way. Yeah. If an advisor is trying to convince you that the investments that they are giving you are good because of the numbers that they're showing you. My advice to you is if there's Greek alphabets listed in there and they don't explain to you why they're important, uh, I would run 
because chances are the advisor doesn't know what they're talking about and the numbers aren't actually representing what they say that they're in, uh, what they're representing. We're talking to Lyle Sternbach and we're talking about alpha, beta, gamma, and these are actual terms that we're using in the finance market. So talking about the market, I just mentioned that word. So there are always these numbers that you're talking about, Lyle, talk, mm -hmm. tell me that in some cases I'm beating the market or sometimes I'm under the market. How do I know, independent of the person who's sitting across from me like you, that I can, once I leave your office, or I leave the Zoom meeting, that I can have confidence and have that understanding that I, I know what it is that I'm looking at. So I like to, um, they, there's, there's something that one of my high school teachers taught me, and it's this, uh, I'm paraphrasing Aristotle, which is you can, can, you can convince a smart person of anything, but you cannot convince a simple person of something that isn't true. <laughs> and it's, the context was, you know, you telling a farmer that the sky is purple or whatever, right? This, the farmer is going to look up and he's going to see that the sky is blue, right? And no matter how many arguments you try to come up to tell him that, no, really the sky is purple, you're just seeing it as blue, he's not going to believe you because he has his own two eyes. When it comes to investments, right, you, you, need, to, you need to take a look at what's actually happening. You need to also understand what, what is going on in your account, because if you don't understand the investments, even at a basic level, then, then there's no way of knowing whether what's happening in the account is actually what you were told was happening in the account. So either you're completely trusting your advisor to do what they've told you that they're going to do, in which case, none of the numbers matter, right? Or you're going to look at the behavior of your account and you're going to say, does this behavior of my account match what I want to see happen? And what you'll find is something very interesting. When you start to look at the behavior of your account and the behavior of the people who are managing your investments, you will see that either they are following their investment policy statements and they're following the rules that you've outlined, right? Where let's say you've decided, well, we're going to invest in the US markets. We're going to invest a small percentage in international. We have, we have logical reasons for doing that. Mm -hmm. If all of a sudden you see that your account isn't doing that, right? The behavior of your account is gonna change too. And now you have a question of why are you changing the mandate? Why are you doing something different? Now, it's very possible that the reason that in doing all that, the alpha, beta, and gamma, all those other numbers, the Greek letters don't change. It's very possible that they're doing it because they're trying to chase returns or they're trying to reduce the volatility in your portfolio. They're trying to chase something. But if you don't understand what's happening there, chances are they're going off script. They're going off the reservation and you're going to end up paying the price at some point. Very interesting. Libel, we've got to leave it right there, but how can we get more information about our topic today, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, for our listeners? And when we come back, we've got a question from a couple of our listeners. What's the website you can leave with us today? So if you go to my website, uh, yieldsforyou.com, go under resources. I've got plenty of information over there. We've got uh, you know blogs and podcasts uh, talking about this. Uh, something that you also want to look up, modern portfolio theory. Not very modern, but it goes into details about, you know, what these numbers are and how they relate to your portfolio.
And this is Libel on Fire. Thanks for listening to this episode of Libel on Fire. If you have questions about today's topic, please submit them on our Facebook group at libelonfire.com slash Facebook. And if you would like a free signed copy of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity, visit libelonfire.com. Now, back to Libel on Fire. Hi, everyone. I am Freddie Bell, and welcome back to another episode of Libel on Fire. And I am with Libel Sternbach. He is Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. Libel, we were talking about Alpha, Beta, Gamma and how that relates to the financial markets. And as we were stepping away, uh, you mentioned the modern portfolio theory. What is that, sir? So modern portfolio theory... Um and I'm I'm torn between whether this is a marketing gimmick or it was actually some mathematicians who, you know, decided to forget their basic statistics and decided to reinvent it all over again for finance. But in any case, it, it, sometime in the 50 or early 60s, the um, in financial services, some some mathematicians, some very smart PhD mathematicians, decided to come up with mathematical rules to describe investments. The truth is, is that these mathematical rules have been around for a very long time. It is, it is basic statistics that most people have learned. Um, they just applied it to investments and they started extrapolating information about investments and teaching people how to make decisions based on it. Now, again, this was in the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. when the vast majority of this was you know, created. And when you're going back to that time, at that time, the U.S. was the largest economy in the world. We still are the largest you know, by country, but we made up, I think it was 50% of the world's GDP. Um, you know, we've just gone through World War II and the United States was left unscratched for the most part compared to Europe and every other, you know, uh, developed nation who had basically, they were either on a war footing or they had their entire country destroyed. So we came out of World War II as the industrial base for the world. And that gave us a big boost for the next, you know, 50 years. So these mathematical constructs that were created about the stock market and about investments are from this bias where the U.S. was the powerhouse of the world. And we still are the powerhouse to a very large extent, but the rest of the world has kind of caught up. And so relying on some of those rules, relying on some of those assumptions may not be the smartest thing in today's economy. So what is a better formula or a better theory on which to rely today in today's society? So I don't, it's not necessarily that there's a better theory. I think it's that you got to take it with a grain of salt, right? You can't, you can't look to the past and say that the future is going to be like the past. Uh, As Mark Twain says, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So when it comes to investments, when it comes to economics, there's definitely a rhythm to history there. I mean, we're seeing it happen 
over again, right? A uh, hundred years ago, we had a pandemic. It wiped out 50 million people. Now we had a pandemic almost a hundred years later, right? It didn't wipe out 50 million people. So we're good on that. Um, we have we have a hundred years ago, the communists, uh, the communist party came to power. They were able to come to power because of World War One. We have right now, we have... Um, we, we have Putin who's trying to reassert the Soviet Union. We have communist China, which is trying to figure out where it stands in the world, um, on the world stage, but they are very much trying to expand their sphere of influence. So in a lot of ways, we've got parallels to what happened a hundred years ago, but in a lot of other ways, technologically, um, economically, the world is not the same. And so to, look to evidence of the past and say that the future is going to look something like the past, I think is a major mistake. This is Live Along Fire. So I have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, her first name is Susie, and she was asking, what is a Monte Carlo simulation and is it useful? And she has a follow-up question. Sure. Um, so a Monte Carlo simulation is, it takes a look at some of the Greek letters that we were talking about. And it, it looks... The short version is, is it looks at the, the statistical distribution of returns. So if you were to, you know, take, a, take every single day and you wrote down, you know, how much the market went up and down percentage wise, and you threw it in a bag and then you scattered it across the, you know, and then you, you kept taking it out of the bag and you kept scattering that bag out on the floor. And you did that, you know, a thousand times. That's essentially what a Monte Carlo simulation is. It is saying that based on the, the, the statistical distribution of returns, we're going to project out a thousand different scenarios or 10,000 different, different scenarios based on that and say, this is what your investment will look like. And that's how, why you end up with numbers that say like, well, you have a 95% chance of you know, uh, meeting your retirement goals, of having enough money. But if you think about that for a second, right? First of all, we're looking to the past to project the future, right? We know the future is not going to look like the past. Correct. So, so we're 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 using bad data to project the future. But leaving that aside, we're also saying that every single day of the future is going to be a random chance of whether the market goes up or the market goes down. And we know that that's not how the market works. We also know that in retirement the order of returns are important. When you're working and you're just you're constantly putting money into your retirement, the order that you get those returns doesn't matter because statistically it'll work itself out. However, in retirement, when you're taking money out of that portfolio, mm -hmm. you can lock in losses and you can suffer from something called sequence risk. And so that becomes a serious problem in retirement and a, car, a Monte Carlo simulation, unless it's done I've only heard of one way of doing a Monte Carlo simulation that's at all even useful, and it's only a little bit useful when it comes to retirement. Every so, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, you, you know, it, it, it's it's a nice crutch that people like to to rely on to you know say, well, I got a 95% probability of surviving retirement, but it's it's really doesn't mean anything. We're with Libel Sternbach, and we're talking about different terms in finance. And Susie asked this question. Here's the other part. She says she tried picking funds that had a high average return, but she seems to constantly, they seem to constantly underperform the market. 
She's wondering if she's doing something wrong. And if she is, what is it? So, so Susie, you are, you are human. That is your problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> you are human. Um, so when we, there, there are two issues here. The first is, is the numbers that you're looking at. So when you're looking at numbers and you're, you're looking at these investments and they show you, oh, well, our training, our trailing annualized returns are, and you see these beautiful numbers and it says, well, over a 10 year period, the trailing annualized numbers was, you know, 10%. And you're like, well, that means it averaged 10% a year over the last 10 years. And that's what the layperson would think looking at those numbers. However, we're talking about statistics here. So statistically, that's not what that number means. What that number means is it's a projection based on the past returns. If we were to have this for 10 years, over a 10-year period, we have an average chance of getting, not even an average chance, we have a statistical chance of these returns reoccurring. But they may not occur. And it's, it's, it's literally, it's just, statistical nonsense. It's not statistical nonsense. It has it has a value when you're doing statistics, but not when you're doing your retirement. Wow. Um, I would not pick an investment based on that um, unless you have negative numbers, but even that it's backwards looking. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything because you 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 want to see you want to see what the future is going to hold. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. We have, when you look at market cycles and you look at, you know, what kind of drives the economy and you look at the reasons behind why some companies go up and some go down and there's cycles for it, the, the investment strategies that work during one period, they do not work during, during another period. You very rarely have, unless you're holding on to the entire stock, the stock market, you very rarely have that everyone wins out over the long period. You have some people win out at some periods, some people win out at other periods, and it doesn't take a genius to look at, you know, and, and think about why, right? Sometimes energy is expensive, sometimes it isn't. Some sometimes people are afraid of the future, and so they're not gonna spend on luxuries. Sometimes we are on a war footing, and so defense gets, you know, a boost. Sometimes it's, you know, the staples or like right now we have a problem where, you know, there's going to be a food shortage because Ukraine and, and Russia were exporting foods and now people aren't importing from Russia and Ukraine doesn't have the ability to export. These are going to affect economic cycles. They're going to affect what sectors have value and grow and looking to the past isn't really going to help you for the future. Leibel Sternbach talking with us this weekend. So can you give us some hope? <laughs> I know Susie is probably shaking her head going, oh my goodness. So what are the data points that we should be looking at when we're choosing an investment? And I'll tie in another question. What about standard deviation? Got it. So in terms of data points that you want to look at when you're looking at investment, I'm going to be brutally honest. Don't look at the statistics so much. Don't look at the statistics so much. If you want to dive into it and really understand it, that's one thing. If you want to do fundamental investing, that's another thing. But for the for the vast majority of people, you want to you want to start from the premise that the what I am investing in has a sound logical reason for growing, right? You can't do it based on statistics. You got to look at the investment and say, I think that the energy sector is going to go up 
because we're going to have an energy crunch for the next few years, right? That's a logical reason. And then you can start looking at the statistics and the fundamentals and say, okay, which energy sector am I going to go after? Which companies stand best position to profit from this? Now, I'll be honest, me and you, we probably don't have the time to spend doing these analysis. You have people who come out of college and they get the degrees and designations and that's all they do all day is, you know, buying these buy side reports or sell side reports, which they they literally spend all day trying to figure out which companies to buy and which companies to sell. Mm -hmm. You and me as an investor, we should do high level, right? We should look at, we should look at countries. We should, we can look at economic sectors and we can say, what do we think is going to go up or what's going to go down? Or we go and pick money managers who have a good track record for doing it, not only have a good track record for doing it, but have a, we, we believe they have a logical reason for performing in the next market cycle. Um, you got to always be forward looking. If you're going to be back, if you look to the past for what you should do, you're going to always be chasing returns and you're never going to realize the returns. And that's a statistical fact that it, it, it gets repeated over and over again. Got it. We've only got about, oh, maybe 90 seconds left. So here's my last question. Are you a proponent, Libel, of buy and hold investing? If you are, tell us why or why not. So buy and hold, I think that in your working years, buy and hold is the absolute best strategy for you. It's not chasing returns. You're going to capture the market growth. In retirement, I think we need to switch our mentality because timing when we take distributions is more important than get capturing market performance. We need to be worried about um, minimizing our losses in retirement rather than maximizing our gains. All right. That's Libel Sternbach. Thank you for that, sir. If you'd like more information on our discussion today, please go to yields4u.com. Yields, the number four, the letter u.com. Leibel Sternbach with us. He's the best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity. And you're listening to Libel on Fire. Join us again next time. That's all the time we have for this episode of Libel on Fire, the financial independence and retirement show dedicated to helping you build the life of your dreams. If you have questions about today's topic, please submit them in our Facebook group at libelonfire.com slash Facebook. And if you would like a free copy of Libel's book, Living with Financial Anxiety and Authenticity, visit libelonfire.com. Thanks for listening. Koppel Advisory Solutions is an SEC-registered investment advisor and only transacts business in states where the firm is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. Registration as an investment advisor is not an endorsement of the firm by securities regulators and does not mean that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. All investment strategies can result in profit or loss. Information presented on this program is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Discussion should not be construed as any offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell the investments mentioned. Annuity guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Content should not be viewed as legal or tax advice. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation.